Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. Say this with me. I am his workmanship. I am created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Now, the series we're in right now is a series called Cars, and it's life in the fast lane, and many of us do live life in the fast lane, and if we're going to live life in the fast lane, in the fast-paced world that we live in today, we got to get some things right for our Christian walk to be successful in the world that we live in. Otherwise, we will get ran over by the world and the things of the world. And so if we're going to perform at the optimal level which God created us to perform at, we must begin to understand about the vehicle that God put us in for this earth, and that's this earth suit, our body, and how we must begin to operate in it with the principles of God's word. And so this morning, as we begin to perform at an optimal level, the title of this morning's message is this. It's driver's training. Driver's training is every kid's dream, every parent's nightmare. Amen. Unless you're in the insurance business, then it's your dream too, amen, because everything gets good for you. And so if it's, the, if it's every kid's dream but every parent's nightmare, there must be some issues. Now, driver's training is not for the experienced driver. Driver's training is literally for the inexperienced driver, amen? And so when you get, and when you, do you remember when you turned 15 and you said, I got one year until I can drive? And then you would even more so start sneaking out and just kind of sitting in the car. And then you'd start it up a little bit. And then the parents would leave for a little bit and they'd be gone together and there'd be a car at the house and you'd drive it up and down the driveway a little bit. I mean, well, maybe y'all didn't. I mean, but we did. <laughs> They're acting like they don't know this. Parents know everything, so they know this. That shocked look on their face, they really did know. And so, and... If it's every kid's dream but every parent's nightmare, think of this in the spiritual realm in your life. When you first got born again and all these things of the Bible that, you know, that, that are out there, we need training in them. We need to get to know them. We need to get instruction on them. We need to begin to develop them. And it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. I hear Christians say this all the time. If I had only known that so many years ago. I hear people say this all the time. Joel, if I had only known this before I got married as a believer, amen, if I had only known this before I went to college as a Christian, if I had only known this before I went into the full-time career place as a Christian, if I had only known this before I went into high school or went into middle school, if I had only known, well, the job of the church is basically we need to be spiritual drivers training in the body of Christ, amen? And so this morning, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how many different churches you've gone to. It doesn't matter how many degrees you, that you have. Everything about driver's training should be a refreshing course to you, and it should be refreshing in your life. So as we talk about driver's training this morning, the first thing I want to bring up about driver's training is a very simple principle about driving, and it's called keep it between the lines. <laughs> you know the first thing you tell your kid when he gets in the car and starts driving, you don't worry about anything else except you say two things, keep it between the lines and don't hit the car in front of you, right? Because if they keep it between their lines, they're not going to get in a head-on collision, but they do need to drive far enough, far enough distance away where they don't rear in the person in front of you. And so we as believers, many times we, we know this concept intellectually, but spiritually as believers, we don't do a very good job at keeping it between the lines sometimes. Many believers, I see them do this, they're on the road of life and they go from one ditch 
And they jump out of this ditch just to get into another ditch. And then they get back out of this ditch and we're constantly overcorrecting in our Christian life. And we go from ditch to ditch to ditch to ditch, never to keep it between the lines. And a ditch is, this, is just this. A ditch is a coffin with both ends knocked out. A ditch is a coffin with both ends knocked out. And if you stay in a ditch long enough, you'll get stuck there and die as a Christian. We have two kind of ditches that Christians get into. One is we have the ditch of the spiritual vendetta, where we believe we are God's chosen one to call out sin in everybody else's life. <laughs> all right, can I get an amen? <laughs> See, all the religious said amen. <laughs> and as we get in these spiritual vendettas, we think it's our job as a believer to call out sin in everybody else's life. And we think we are God's chosen one many times to address the specific sin issues in somebody else's life when many times, if we would look at Jesus said, if we would look at the plank in our own eye and take care of that, before we tried to pull the speck out of our brother's eye, we'd probably get a lot more done. And a lot of times I really believe what Jesus is saying is get out of this ditch of the spiritual vendetta. Get out of this ditch. Listen, the reason why I preach the way I preach, which is very encouraging, very uplifting, very empowering, hopefully very informational, hopefully very life applicable in everything that I preach and teach is because I don't really feel that I have the liberty to call out sin in everybody else's life because I haven't achieved perfection yet. Amen? Now, now I'm striving for it. I mean, I understand I'm sanctified and justified and set apart and I'm the righteousness of Christ and all these things. I understand all that, but I'm striving to be like Christ. And I pray that in my example of living, it would inspire you to do the same rather than trying to have a spiritual vendetta and say, you're in sin, you can't, you can't, you can't, you're miserable, you're horrible. This is, I, I can't believe you would do this. Go to the altar, do this, do this, do this. We get into these spiritual vendettas and we get stuck in a ditch of pointing out everybody else's sin. But you know, if you hang around sin long enough, you actually start doing it a little bit. Oh, yeah. If you get stuck in the ditch of the spiritual vendetta long enough, and you start looking at everybody else's sin, you end up kind of judging what everybody else is doing. Listen, in the body of Christ, it's our job to keep it between the lines when we see somebody stuck in the ditch of sin to hook a chain to them and pull them back out on the road. Have you ever tried to pull somebody out of a ditch? I haven't, but I've been pulled out of a couple of them myself. And what they do is to get me out of the ditch, they don't get in the ditch with me. Amen? They stay on the road where they can get traction to pull me up out of the ditch. So many Christians, we think, well, if I find somebody in sin, I better get in the sin ditch with them, when in fact, it just traps both of us many times. Our job as a believer is to hook people up, hook a chain to them when we stay on the road of life and pull them out and when we get hooked on spiritual vendettas such as it's my job to be the chosen one of God to stop all the the gossip in my workplace no it's your job to quit gossiping first of all amen, uh, amen. because a lot of times you with the spiritual vendetta to stop gossip go to somebody else and say did you hear what so-and-so said we need to stop them talking about other people when you're talking about somebody else amen. do you understand how you get trapped in the ditch of sin and the spiritual vendetta when the best thing you can do is you as a believer, if you're going to try to pull somebody out, you make sure you keep it between the lines, first of all, in your own life, baby. I mean, you better make sure you're firmly planted. And listen, if God lays it on your heart, and he does do this, okay? He does lay it on your heart to go to a brother and say, hey, listen, I've noticed you've been slipping in this area of your life, and I'm really concerned about it, and I'm praying for you, and that is a good thing. 
But you know the difference between a spiritual vendetta and going to your brother or sister in love is this. Most people, when they come to me with this concern about another person, is they are heartbroken about it. And they are nervous about going to this other person. And they say, Pastor, how do we even talk to them? Because my heart is breaking for them. They don't even see what's going on, but God's really laid it on my heart to go talk to them. And I want to help them get back on the road of life. And their hearts are literally broken for the one getting stuck in the ditch. Where the spiritual vendetta is, I can't believe you're stuck over there. I don't know why so-and-so just deals with this all the time. Can they not just get out of the problem? No, because if they could, they would most of the time. Our job as a believer is when God lays it on our heart to pull somebody out of a ditch, is to go to them in love. And it is to walk with them and pull them out because you stay on the road of life and you grab a hold of them and you begin to pull them out. And if you're not strong enough to pull somebody out, you better get somebody to hook onto you before you hook onto them. Because I've seen many believers, they do the uh, high school thing, the dating Christianity. Well, if I'm gonna go out with him, but I'm gonna make sure I bring him or her to church before you know it. It's not him or her coming to church, it's him or her out of church. We've seen that. I mean, oh, and let's not just blame it on middle school and high school. I've seen so many adults in their uh, 18 to uh, 30 year range, especially ones that have gone through traumatic experiences in life, such as divorces or separations and things like that. Oh, they start dating this person who's really a wonderful person, and there are a lot of wonderful people out there, but they're not saved. They're not born again. They don't have a stable walk with Christ. And you say, I'm gonna date them And I'm going to make sure that when I date them, they're going to come to church with me. You know what ends up happening? They come a couple times, but then you miss a couple times. They come once, then you miss three. They come none, and you miss four. And then two people are in a ditch, and they wonder why their life is falling apart. And so you got the spiritual vendetta ditch over here, but then you got this other ditch on the way other side of the spectrum. And it's called, I'm born again, and because I know Jesus Christ, I can do whatever the I want, literally, We do all the things of hell, literally, because we're saved. And we play the heavenly grace card on this ditch over here because we're saved. And I can do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it because, hey, I'm forgiven, and you know you're forgiven, and you know the power of God in your life. But if you really are forgiven and know that power of God, why would you do that to, number one, yourself, and number two, your Savior, and number three, your God? Because if you're willing to do that to number one, yourself, you have issues with yourself. If you're willing to do it to your Savior, you really need to check if you really believe him as your Savior. And if you're willing to do it to your God, you have a trust issue with your Heavenly Father. And we need to get out of this ditch of the overwhelmingly, I can sin all I want and it's okay because it's already been paid for. And we need to get in this road over here. Get back in between the lines. I'll tell you what I struggle with in my life, okay? I I saw like five people just like, I want to hear this. I want to hear what pastor struggles with in his life. I struggle with going from spiritual vendetta to the great overwhelming grace side all the time. In my spiritual walk, I'll find myself way over here being complacent in my Christian walk. So I'll overcorrect and I'll jump over here and say, I got to read more. I got to study more. I got to pray more. I'm going to fast three days this week because I haven't done it in a month. I'm going to make sure I work, 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 work. When the Bible says, Joel, it's by grace you've been saved, not of works. And so then I overcorrect and I work, work, work. And God said, Joel, it's not by works. It's by my grace in a relationship with me. So then I overcorrect and I get back over here and grace says, oh, it's all by grace. And so then I quit doing the works of God. Well, the Bible said we were created to do good works. So in my life, I struggle with the overcorrecting of one side to the other side to the one side to the other side. And when God just says, Joel, learn to keep it between the lines. Keep it between the lines. 
I want to challenge you in your Christian walk. I'm not sure where every one of you are at individually, but I know in everybody's life there's one ditch or the other ditch that we constantly get stuck in. And maybe you're like me, you overcorrect from one side to the other side, from one side to the other side, and you need to get a balance in your life. A balance comes with consistency. A balance comes with practice. A balance comes with staying on the road of life in a consistent manner long enough to get used to being between the lines. And when you get used to being between the lines, you'll understand when you get close to the ditch, to the ditches of life. So the first thing we need to understand is we gotta keep it between the lines. The second thing we need to understand is on every car you have at least three of these and they're called mirrors. Now when we talked about body shop last week, we talked about you got the windshield and you got the rear view mirror and we talked about how big the, weir- the windshield is in comparison to the rear view mirror and that means you should really watch out the windshield way more than you watch out the rear view mirror. But the rear view mirror is very important and so are the side mirrors that are very important and this one over here, we all get the annoying phrase out of it that says, objects in this mirror may be closer than they appear. Does that not annoy anybody else? I'm sitting here thinking, why? And then I start overthinking it like, Really, what does that mean? Are they closer? If I, what? And you wonder why I drive bad. It's not that I'm not thinking. It's I'm overthinking. Right. When I'm not Facebooking or texting or everything else that I do. With all mirrors, it doesn't matter how many mirrors that you have on your vehicle, you end up with something called a what? A blind spot. A blind spot in your life. Now listen to what Paul says about this. It says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in my weakness or insults or hardships or persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The first thing we need to know as a believer when we start using our mirrors is we need to trust God to show us our blind spots. We need to trust God in the areas that we cannot see of things going on around us. We need to begin to trust the voice of God in our life because there are times when you're driving and everybody's done this, you're driving along, you got a good song playing, you're chilling, you look in the rear view mirror, hey, there's vehicles back there, you look in this mirror and there's nothing there, you look in that mirror, there's nothing there. So I'm gonna use my blinker, click, 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 click. I'm gonna get over, it's like, where did that car come from? It didn't just appear out of nowhere, I promise, even though it seems like it does. I know it seems like it just shows up. But it didn't. In fact, it had been there all along. It had been there all along, and it's been there so much that it literally came up behind you, got in a position where you couldn't see it, and the minute you tried to make your move or take a step of faith as a believer, it runs you back off the road. And you get scared, and your adrenaline is going, and you got 10 and 2 automatic, you know. You know when you mess up and something like that happens, it's like, all the old reflexes come back. We got 10 and 2. We're covering the brake. We're not slamming on it. We're good. We're looking around, looking blind spots. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when those things in life happen and the enemy sneaks up on us and gets in a place where we can't see him, you know what you're supposed to do physically when you're driving, don't you? Turn and look. Spiritually, the Bible says that God has angels on our right and our left, according to Psalm 91, that he is our rear guard and we're led by the Holy Spirit. So that means he's got us completely surrounded and in the spirit realm there is no blind spot but the problem with many Christians is we get blindsided because we do not listen to the voice of God. Paul said I am content in my weakness or my blind spot because when I am weak, when I know I can't see, I can call on one who sees everything. I can begin to call on the God who knows my tomorrow, who knows my yesterday, who knew the sins I was going to do before the foundations of the earth. And so Christ was even slain, the Bible says, before the foundations of the earth. And so if God knows all of those things, he knows my blind spot. And some of you 
Your blind spot you need to entrust unto God instead of entrusting to the scenario that you've tried to cover it up with. Many people in the body of Christ, your weakness you try to cover instead of exposing it to God. We try to cover it up in the church. We try to cover up the issues we have instead of bringing them to the light so God can fix them. We try to cover up our insecurities. We try to cover up our mistakes. We try to cover up the personality flaws that we think we have. If we're outgoing people and we struggle with insecurity, we even become more outgoing the more insecure we get because we're trying to cover up insecurity. And if we're shy people or naturally reserved people, when we get uncomfortable, we get more reserved. And we'll sneak into the background and we'll just disappear and nobody will ever know we're gone. Yes, we do know you're gone. The thing is, when you feel yourself being tugged and you're dealing with your personal issues, quit making them be your blind spots. Expose them to God because he sees them, he already knows them, he's waiting for you to entrust them with him. Listen, I'm not saying if you're a shy person, and you have a fear of being in front of people, that tomorrow, if you entrust God with your blind spot today, you're going to have the gift of preaching and be up here and be the most charismatic preacher the world has ever seen? I'm not saying that. I'm saying God probably won't really change your personality very much at all. He created you the exact way he wanted you to be. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he has great and mighty plans for you just the way you are, but not with all the conditions you're constantly trying to hide. He's got you fearfully and wonderfully made just the way you are, But when you entrust him with your blind spot, you won't have to worry about being shy anymore. You'll be a confident, shy person. I mean, there there are people who are very confident and very shy. They know they're shy and they're confident about it. There's nothing wrong with that. There are people who are very outgoing, outspoken, kind of like me, and we're confident about it. But we have blind spots that I've had to expose to God. You have never met more two opposite people than me and my wife. I mean, night and day, opposite people. She's got blind spots, I got blind spots. But until we both started entrusting them to Christ, She didn't become who she was called to be, and I didn't become who I was called to be. And the more we expose them to Christ, the more ministry opportunity God brings us into, according to who we are. So in this process of life, in your blind spots, I want you to begin to focus on the things of your life that you think are your hindrances and begin to trust them to God. Because listen to this, Romans 8 says this, But if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of you. So he's saying your dead blind spots that you can't see, that you can't fix, that constantly get you ran off the road, God said, I will bring life into the dead areas of your life. God will begin to change your life by not fixing your weaknesses, but by him being the strong point instead of making your weakness the weak point. So many people go through life and just say, well, that's just my weakness, that's just my weakness. Well, if you know it's your weakness, entrust it to God. Your weak area, Paul then says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I don't know what to do, then I'm really strong because then I gotta rely on God all the more. That's what he's saying. So I wanna challenge you in your blind spots today. The last thing I wanna talk to you about this morning is the big picture. Do you remember when you first started driving? Y'all, I was a horrible driver and it hadn't changed much since. (laughs) My older brother, Brian, who lives in Virginia, he had drove the tractor and the trucks at the farm all his life. And so he got in there, he got in trouble because he just kicked back and drove with one hand and he did all that stuff. Well, because he always drove, I never had to. So I wasn't a good driver when driver's training started. And I still remember my driver's training teacher, I'm gonna keep the names anonymous to protect the innocent. (laughs) Man, we got in that car. I guess he thought I was gonna be a good driver. But within about the first five minutes, y'all, he was like, okay, we're gonna just go over here to the big high school parking lot where you can't hit anything because there's nothing to hit. 
and we're just going to practice accelerating and hitting the brake. I really was that bad. I mean, I was horrible. I accelerate, and then I slam on the brake. And so we were practicing driving. The one thing that he said was my biggest flaw the first few weeks of driver's training, he said, Joel, you've got to start looking at the big picture when you drive. Because I was accustomed to staring at that hood ornament and looking right past that hood ornament. And you know if you always stare two feet in front of you driving, you're going to go from ditch to ditch and into a tree. And especially if you're looking at the hood ornament because you're over here and the hood ornament is that way, you're always looking like right towards the side of the road. Drove him nuts. He didn't have much hair to begin with, but he wasn't good after that. (laughs) And when he finally got it through my head, Joel, quit looking down right in front of you. Quit looking right here because when you look right here, you can't see what God's got you for over there. And if you're constantly looking straight down on the ground in front of you, you're going to end up missing everything about driving. And the more I began to drive, Because I wasn't confident. When you're not confident, what do you naturally do? You look down. Well, if you walk into a room and you're not a confident person, you do this so nobody says hi to you. (laughs) If you're a confident person, you're walking to the person with his head down saying, hey, how you doing? I'm Joel. It's nice to meet you. Glad you're here. (laughs) Some of y'all walk into church like, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. (laughs) You're missing the big picture. (laughs) You're missing the body of Christ. It's the same thing in your walk with Christ. So many believers, you're so focused on the immediate trial that's staring you in the face right here. And you're so focused at the trial that's right here staring you in the face. Listen, you're looking at it right here. And you can't see anything else because this is your big picture. This page in front of my face, it's a foot from my nose. I can't see anything except two people here on my peripheral and three or four over here. How am I getting what God's trying to show me? I can't see it because I'm staring right in front of me. If I'll back up, or if I'll look up, or if I'll just slow down and say, take a deep breath and say, this trial is only temporary. It will only last for a season. It will only last for a moment of my life. This illness that I may be fighting, depression, mental, whatever, it's only a moment. It is a blip on my map. It is not my world. It does not control me. This physical issue in my body, it is a blip on my map. It doesn't stop me from getting to my destination. It does not control me. It does not slow me down. In fact, I will take my eyes off this blip on the map right in front of me, and I'm going to look up and find my destination where I'm headed, where I'm going. Paul said, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It didn't mean he didn't have trials. It didn't mean he didn't see trials. It didn't mean things didn't pop up in front of him. But what he said is, I see the big picture. I'm not going to let something momentary and looking down right in front of me stop me from all that God's called me to do and all that he's called me to be. We in the body of Christ, I want to challenge you this morning to do this. Literally pick your head up, look up to the author and the finisher and the perfecter of your faith and you bring him your momentary trial, your momentary lapse of confidence, your momentary struggle, your payment, your bill, your electricity bill, whatever you're struggling with. Quit letting it control you because it's not the big picture. It is a blip on your map. And I get so grieved in the body of Christ because many times me as a pastor, I want you to get past your blip on your map more than you do. And I'll encourage you and I'll be there for you. And the problem is I'll get stuck in a ditch trying to get you out. But more than likely, if you'll pick your head up, you won't even get near the ditch. You'll pick your head up and you'll look up to Jesus 
the author and the finisher and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the scorn of the cross, the Bible said. Listen, if Jesus would have focused on the cross, he would have never made it through. He wasn't focused on the cross. He was focused on the resurrection. He knew that he was about to suffer and die. But he knew in suffering and dying, and three days later, God was going to split the rocks wide open. The curtain was going to be torn from top to bottom. The heavenly of heavenlies was going to open up. He was going to ascend up from the depths of hell, victorious with the keys of hell and the grave in his hand. And so he kept his eye on the big picture. And God is calling you this morning. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Keep your eye on the big picture. You may be struggling in your career. Pick your head up because this isn't your life. There's a bigger picture for you. And the hardest thing to do, listen, the hardest thing to do is when you are struck with fear and you are fixated on the point right ahead of you is to pick your head up because it takes faith to lift up. It takes courage to lift up. It takes courage to stand up. It takes courage to walk forward. It takes courage to realize it's there, but not let it stop you. And you're going headlong right towards it, but it's not because you're going to get stopped by it. It's because you're going to drive right past it, and it's going to be a testimony, even though it was a test right now. And that mess of a life that you have that, is, that you're fixated on right now, God says, pick your head up. I know it's hard. Pick your head up. Look at me, God says. Pick your head up because I'm getting you past this blip on your map. The word of God, the word of God says the big picture is this. The big picture is more than you see right here in this church. The big picture is more than you see when you leave this building and see Sulphur Springs. The big picture is when you stop and you look back and realize every soul has a name and every name that has a soul with it says is written in the Lamb's book of life. Most people got bad theology on this. Most people think, well, when I get saved, he writes my name in. It's not what happens. When Christ died on the cross, every name of every person that's ever lived was written down at the end because he already paid the price. Amen. When you don't pick your head up and see the big picture and don't make Christ the Lord of your life, and when you pass away and go not to heaven, the Bible says God then blots out your name. So your name's already written there because Christ already paid for your sins. It's not until you don't get the big picture and you get blotted out. What's the big picture this morning? I want to challenge you in this. In your moment of trial, bless somebody going through the same trial. See the big picture. If you're struggling with depression, go find somebody who's depressed and bring them a scripture. You're struggling with, you're struggling with a marriage problem? Find somebody else with a marriage problem and begin to pray for theirs just like you're praying for yours. I didn't say go jump in the ditch with them. When you drop by and see them in the ditch and bring them some encouragement, God's going to bring somebody to encourage you. When we as a church shine brighter and shine farther, God's gonna continue to equip us to shine brighter and shine farther. You can't outdo God, you can't outgive God, you can't outserve him. In fact, when we start driving and we pick our head up and we see the big picture, God begins to get a smile on his face and said, they're gonna make it.